Welcome to the RCC Points of View podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Residential Childcare Workers Online Forum. In this episode, I talk with a senior residential childcare worker who's amassed over 20 years' experience in the field of RCC. The focus of discussion is around the desire that RCC is viewed as a career of choice rather than something that people fall into by default. In addition, we discuss qualifications, values, the national care review and the challenges associated with the continuing care. I really enjoy recording this podcast and I hope you enjoy it too. So without further ado, please welcome Billy Todd. Hi Billy, thanks for taking part and taking some time out of your day. It's a lovely day and uh, pretty much expressing your interest in the podcast. It's much appreciated. So just firstly, can you tell me a bit about yourself and what your connection is to residential childcare? Okay. Thanks, Joe, for having me. Um, obviously, my name is Billy Todd um, from North Ayrshire. I've been a residential childcare worker for approximately 20 years now. Uh, now a senior residential worker. Uh, in that time, obviously, I've seen many, many changes. Um, and the reason why I've selected to do this is uh, I think it's great. I think shared experiences, especially from the broader way, workforce, are, are really important for us all. Um, and I've enjoyed listening to other people's experiences, and, and I hope some people get something out of listening to mine. That's brilliant. So in terms of just your own background, what was it that led you and the work and the line of work, you know, um, you know, for maybe doing something else to enter into working in residential. Basically, I was a butcher for a long time, and it, the so the work was drying up. And I tried working in factories, two different ones. They were only for me. Um, I missed the interaction with customers, with people. Um, there's only so much banter you can have in a factory. So my brother actually packed in his job and went back to uni to become a nurse. And that sort of spun the conversation where I went, you know, I can maybe do something similar. I didn't quite fancy nursing. So I signed up to do an NC in social care, given that it was like 20 years for left school. And I was doing the best at attending school in the first place. So... Uh, actually, my mum laughed when she heard that I was going back to college. <laughs> she actually thought I was going to finish school. Uh, <laughs> it's been that long. Uh, so I've done the NC in social care and the HNC in social care. And that's where it kind of opened my eyes up. You know, that it was, you know, social care is huge. It's very broad. Uh, residential care was not something I'd thought about. It was one of my lecturers that actually, uh, I, I was actually leaning towards working with adults, you know, with learning disabilities, and through my interactions in the, the classroom, one of the lecturers had actually said, have you ever thought about working in, you know, residential childcare or childcare or youth work? And I was like, no, really. <laughs> um, so my placement, my first placement was with uh, children with disabilities in a respite service, um, and I absolutely loved it, because that was me, hooked gone. Mm-hmm. You know, couldn't wait to get finished to go and get in my path, my career path, um, which was a wee bit difficult. 
getting in the door, if you like. Once once we'd qualified, and then I'd done a couple of wee bits and pieces of sessional work with different organisations, got a job with the council, and pretty much been there ever since. Okay, so taking you back to your first experience of working in residential, um, you know, in, in, in your placement, how did that feel when you walked through the door? Um, just in terms of that initial experience, what you were, you know, what, what you encountered, how did that feel to you? Well, actually, the respite service was because it was so small, was fine. My first role within residential was in a, a large establishment where there was twelve kids, and it was God knows how it must have felt for the kids because for me walking in the door, it was overwhelming. <coughs> Excuse me. And I actually remember my manager actually saying to me about two years after it started, saying, you've done brilliantly. He says, when I saw you walking up the path, I thought, 10 minutes, you'll be back at that door. He's going straight out the back door and I'll not see him again for dust. Um, right. But I'm still here, still there. Um, and, and although I found it overwhelming and I was very daunting, I, I fitted in very quickly. And, and, I'm, and I also found that, you know, surprisingly how many young people come in through that big daunting door as well. And they seem to fit in uh, quite quickly. And then I found out through experiences that that's obviously because for some of them, that was maybe the fifth or sixth or some of the move at 12, 13. So they were used to that moving, whereas for me, it was a whole new experience. Yeah. Uh, in terms of that, that kind, you, when you say daunting, what was it that was daunting? You know, for you, can you kind of describe that just in terms of that? For me, it was, you know, the level of probably pressure I put on myself, my expectations. You know, I was walking in that door thinking, I'm going to make a huge difference, a big impact. I know I'm not the tallest person in the world, but I thought, I love life. And I was hoping that enthusiasm would rub off. And it's... Did it? I, I like to think so sometimes, but I know it's it's not the same. But for me, the expectation levels that on myself, and then when I went in through the door and started to meet the other staff, you know, and some staff saying, you know, welcome to residential. By the way, this is probably one of the most thankless jobs you'll ever get, but it's also one of the most rewarding. You'll just have to find it that out yourself. Right, okay. And, and what did you find that, you know, 20 years later? What, what, what were they meaning by that? What was that kind of whole actual code relating to? Still, I still think it's 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 such an undervalued job professionally, um, which I think a week in residential childcare for anybody, you would see the vast amount of skills that we have to drop on and experiences, you know, because every young person is unique. Every young person's got their own background. Uh, that, you know, and it's nothing, you can't turn and say one gap fits all. Um, I remember we were asked uh, about one of the things, if you were to describe yourself as an implement or as an object, what would it be? We come up with, it would be a Swiss army knife because we need every tool in the box. You know, we're teachers, we're parents, we're mentors, we're youth workers. At times we're 
trying to be counsellors, it's it's everything. Uh, yeah. It's not just about being a babysitter or a parent. It's just it's it's so complex. But it is the one thing I would say after twenty years is you do you start to meet people that you worked or met when they were twenty years ago, and it's so rewarding to hear them being so positive about the time you spent with them. And it is rewarding, and it is worth it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I remember reading uh, an article, and it was the, the the reference in it, or that the author, you know, referred to residential workers as being social workers with slippers on. And I felt, you know, that's a bit condescending. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you know, the job is definitely a lot more complex than that, you know. So in respect to that, just in terms of the subject area for this podcast, what what is it that you would like to kind of speak about specifically? But I would really like to discuss things like, you know, residential childcare. You know, is it a, a career path? Is it something that people see as a career? Uh, I know from my own journey, and from I also have known from my experience of when I first started talking to others, that most people stumbled across it, they fell into the job. No, it wasn't something set out to do. It's no like nursing or social work. It's 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 completely different. Most, there's very few people have went straight from school to college or uni and thought, I'm going to residential childcare to make a difference. They don't. You know, that is something that stumbled across. So I'd like to explore that a bit more and also about the you know, how, how we support those older kids. Continuing care is obviously uh, quite a, an important topic at this time. Um, and it's, are we, are we, are we getting it right? Uh, you know, is there gaps in the service and, and how can we support these young people more? Because I know from my own personal experience, I was knowing you're ready to live in on my own at 17, 18, 19, even 20, I wasn't. I knew I wasn't. So that's that's they're, they're both. I'm very passionate about those topics. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, see, in terms of the bit about a career path, yeah. What, what what would you see the benefits are of making residential childcare a career choice that's, that people might aspire to? For me, if people if if it was an attractive option as a career path, and they could see there was a, you know, there was also opportunities within that we would encourage more younger people to come in who are qualified, but they've got that enthusiasm and that drive that it's infectious that you'd want to spread across the houses. Uh, So for me, if it's a desirable career path, then you get more people that's enthusiastic, that have the right values, that come along. It's not just about having that, I want to make a difference attitude you have to believe you can make a difference, right? And you have to have that belief each and every single day because there's many, many days where you're not going to see it. You're not going to see the, the impact you're having in young people's lives. So I think, you know, if you see it as a career path and you you truly believe in what you're doing, it, that will continue. And that, that's where, you know, for me, it's it's good to draw upon these experiences of other people with I mean, butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers, and all sorts at, at the moment. But you only have to spend some time in the company of a student, and their thirst for knowledge 
uh, and they're career driven. But usually their career path is we're coming as a student, but we're going elsewhere. No, their path is taken down a different road. Um, and I think residential uh, at the moment, there's too many people get stuck. They don't see it as a career path for a variety of reasons. And I think one of them is that very few people, well, they maybe go up to being a house manager, but then that's, they're quite happy. They don't go anywhere else. They don't look at how they can influence the service from other areas. And I think if we see that as a, a career path that can you know, go beyond that, then it will attract yeah. more people that want to come and have that knowledge and skill set and drive for mm-hmm. helping to keep the, the positive change that's been happening. Because yeah. there's been plenty of positive changes, but it's you need more people to drive that and we need more people that are career-minded to, to do that because, let's face it, for, for people to make and think outside the box, I always say that the only time you have certain people... Um, come up with good ideas as when they're doing the SVQ, mm-hmm. then they get back into their old mindset. Whereas I think if they saw there was genuine benefits from moving up, you know, to becoming a senior, having that influence over a team, to become an assistant manager, then having a bit more influence over the team and a bit uh, more say in how the house is run, you know, and how you bring everybody else into that. You know, mm-hmm. To me, that's what I, what I want. I want people to be coming in driven, and and, they, and you're only going to get them if they see that there's a, you know, there is an actual career in it. It's and again, that's where we need the workforce to be valued by other professionals, because yeah. if people don't value it, they're not going to see it as a career. They're just going to see it as just another job. Yeah. It's, so in respect, I in respect to that, so do you think comparable to yourself, who's got twenty years experience? Uh, with somebody that's maybe come into the field of social work, having qualified as a social worker, with 20 years' experience, the the, the, the the route for them professionally, you know, would you say there's a lot more opportunities compared to somebody like yourself or myself with a similar level of experience? Um, you know, in terms of that, where, where do you go? You know, and, and where, where should you be able to go, Billy? And what, the bar- what are the barriers to that? I think the main barrier is the value that people place and the experiences we have, um, and even the qualifications that we gain. Mm-hmm. A social worker who could maybe work for three months as a placement at criminal justice, but then go and work with maybe learning disabilities or adults, and then go back, but they can diversify because their qualification allows them to diversify across social work as a broad spectrum. So they can gain vast different types of experiences or they can stay wherever they want. And, you know, if that's, if that's where their passion is and they want to stay there, that's absolutely fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But for residential childcare, I, for me to move branch out, the opportunities are few and far between. And I, and I think a lot of the times that's down to how people value and view the service that I work in. Yeah. Which is why I'm quite passionate and try to change people's views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose for me, I was just kind of thinking about my experience of working with people and an old boss of mine had says to me, you know, and, and that boss's um, kind of experience was that he would encounter people and they kind of used the metaphor of the black rain cloud, you know, <laughs> coming along and sitting above the, the people and really kind of becoming a, a bit kind of 
disillusioned and it would, and it would impact on others. And this was usually people who had uh, quite a, you know, a relevant um, kind of level of experience and you know history. And, and, and for that, it became toxic. How, how do you how do you best support those types of situations whereby you encounter that? You know, like kind of that whole metaphor of the black rain, rain cloud. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things, uh, and it's quite a new thing, we only brought it in just over a year ago, last February was the first time we, we planned it. Um, and it was having a lot of our ex-residents, and I'm talking 10, 15 years out of the building, back for the Valentine's buffet. And we said we we're going to have this every year. And the difference in some of the staff that I work with, listening to the positive stories from people who were sitting talking about, and there was some of the stories that we were hearing, we thought were quite negative at the time, and it was quite, that was a harsh experience. They were actually saying that, yeah, it was a harsh experience, but you were with me. You helped me through that experience. You know, and for some of the staff, I saw a huge difference in them straight after that, which is why we definitely agreed we're going to do this every year until COVID came along. So this uh -huh. year was a virtual one experience. And we've now got a social media group with all the ex-residents. It's grew arms and legs. And we're hearing, you know, they're going to university. So they might not have went to university at 17, but we've now, now heard of two that are going to start university. One's 27 and one's 30. No, I didn't go back to college till I was 36. So there's yeah. no, no, but I think that coupled with as, as someone who is a senior and got my own team, and I, I, I like to keep my, my team motivated, but I also like to make sure that they're, they're okay. So I introduced things like we, I do like a couple of nurture days a year where we, we, we do a wee shift. Uh, it's every three weeks and it's four hours. And it's for training, development, and things like that. So two of them are protected, and I use them for, like, uh, I call them staff nurture days, and it's just where we go out and have a chat and just check in as a team. And if we talk about it, and, and I always make sure we let's bring up a wee positive experience to have a talk about, because we use reflective practice a lot through supervision to, to learn from things that went wrong. I think it's also important to ensure that you remind people of the things that went that it goes well and, and they do well. Um, and as I said, that the wee, the wee social group that we've got now, it's good to hear, because every so often somebody will come along and say, just to let you know, I met so-and-so, they're doing great, they don't, they don't do social media, but if you're having another wee do back at the house, I have to let them know and they'll come along. And That's they'd say, and they're asking who's all there, you know. That's brilliant. Uh, uh, and the thing is, what you're kind of mentioning there is motivational tools. Yep. You know, that, that's how I'm kind of you know, taking that in terms of what you use those types of events to inspire people within the house, you know, the, the whole, to, so that more black rain cloud, you know. Yeah. Um, so just, just in terms of the notion of, you know, making residential a career choice for people. So when they come out of school, go to college and they say, oh, I could be a youth worker, I could be a social worker, but I could also be a residential worker. So what's your, th what's, your, what's your thoughts on the importance of qualifications in respect to that, you know, just for people coming in, the attractiveness, but also people working in our field? You know, what, what type of qualification do you think, if you had a magic wand, you know, based on NRCCI recommendations or a level nine qualification, um, which have currently, is currently still kind of a bit grey at the moment, um, off the yeah. back of the care review and the promise, it just seems to 
went, it's no way anywhere really. What do you think the the proper qualification for us as residential workers would look like? It's always been a difficult one. Um, as as someone who has struggled, uh, especially through school, um, I, I, I'm always telling young people, you know, uh, I regret a lot of the times that I miss school. Uh, and it's I look back on it and I think, well, if I had the right support, I know I can achieve more. But I also think the importance for us, as a, especially as a workforce, in having a good level of qualification, as again, what we spoke about earlier, People value qualifications, you know, and if her role has that qualification, it will help to value. It, it, it won't change the work we're doing, as in, because most of us are doing the right things. From what I've gathered over the years and talking to different people, I, I, I'm very good at talking, as you'll probably know, Joe, um, to other, especially other folk, uh, is that something in between you know, youth work, community learning, a wee bit of social work. And I think that's where we need, you know, if we're going to have an HNC, the social care one is okay, but why can we know, why, why is there not a qualification that's more specific to an HNC in youth work, say, or an HNC, at, you know, youth and social work? And then that's something we can then, as a, an entry point, we can start so that we're not excluding people that's maybe going to struggle. And then do we look at, do we have a mixture? Do we have something that's a level nine, but it's part academic and part like an SVQ? Um, I know they tried that with the HNC, but we could ramp that up a wee bit and make it a bit more specific. As someone who done, when I did my SVQ4, I struggled because there was a lot of it that's not really relevant to the job I'm doing. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I had to try and really think outside the box so that I could ensure I gained the qualification that I needed to do my job. So that, that qualification has been there for a while. You must have an SPQ4 to be a senior residential worker. And yet we're still struggling to find units that fit mm -hmm. well within the service. And I think that's that's definitely a failing and that's something that definitely needs to be looked at. Because yeah. the SPQ is a, is, a, is a good way of learning. It is a good, but if they've not got the right units, then I'm really struggling to to know to fit that in and if I'm struggling to fit that in so is other people you know because yeah. um, it needs to be more relevant and I think with the relevant qualifications backed up with the right values and the right experiences um, we can do really good work mm -hmm. we do do really good work yeah and you make a good point there about that but about being able to kind of move across you know kind of boundaries you know in terms of professional areas of practice so if there's a qualification out there, for example, I've got the community education qualification, and that and that's quite a unique qualification in respect of you can register for the triple C that qualification, and also the CLD standards council. So technically, I can do family work as a like kind of under the umbrella of community education, and also I can practice with uh, you know in, as, as in the residential childcare field as well. So there is qualifications there that may well have a a close connection to our field that are worth, that yeah. are worth looking looking at in, in my you know in my opinion and it BA BA on BA honors level and are very accessible so that's my wee pitch but really appreciate you know your viewpoint in respect to that 
Um, and I suppose you can move on with the promise, you know, the, the national care review, uh, and then from that, the promise suggests it's important that Scotland needs to hold the hand of those who hold the hand. What would that look like to you? You know, how, how, how would Scotland hold the hand of the residential childcare workforce to make sure that they do the absolute best for children and families? That's, well, that, to me, that's it's got to be about us as a workforce feeling valued. Um, so we, we talk a lot in residential about having a safe base. Well, your safe base starts with your staff, with the people that provide that environment. So they have to feel valued, they have to feel listened to. Uh, and that's from, as, because the amount of people that you talk to that say, who is it? I don't know them. You're like, well, that's actually head of your service. Never met them, don't know them. Um, and what does that mean to me? It needs to mean something, right? Because we, it, we as a workforce, we have to feel valued by those who are making decisions that directly affect us and how we work in our practice. Mm -hmm. And I, we need to work more closely together with a lot of people. Um, I know I'm quite good at getting myself invited to things. Um, <laughs> I hear something, I thought, I'm going to have a shot at that, just to make sure that they get their voice is heard. Because sometimes we're, just, we're missed out by accident, as there's a lot of times they say, but it's um, for us, we have to feel valued. And if we feel valued, boy, when you see a motivated and valued workforce working, you, know, you don't need, they're coming up with ideas. You know, they're engaging with young people. They're doing things straight off the bat. Um, whereas the black cloud we spoke about, that's people that are not feeling valued. That's people that don't feel listened to, that feel as though the job is pointless, that they're just turning up every day, seeing the same thing. Nothing's happening, nothing's changing and moving on. So how does that feel for a young person? You know, that unmotivated member of staff. You know, if I can't come in with a smile every day, and be enthusiastic, you know, make sure that I've gained my time. Somebody actually talk, spoke to me once and said that I make myself too emotionally and physically available to young people. Mm -hmm. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I was like, excuse me, that, that is actually my job. <laughs> you know, it's meant to be about relationships and you, you have to be, you have to connect. So you have to be emotionally and physically available to that young person to have a relationship. Um, and that to me, that's that's what was, was wrong. And that's again, people that's not motivated and don't feel valued. So holding the hand in, of the hand of others is, it's not just about making sure that people say, all right, I'm here. It's about, you know, I'm here, I'm listening. It's the same thing we tell staff to do with kids that we work with. You know, you have to listen to the people that's, you know, these people at the top, you make decisions. Yep, you know, that's fine. But make decisions and speak to us, make sure that everybody knows, understands why and why it's coming from, why you're driving it forward, you know, and then listen to the feedback, you know, because mm. we're the ones that see it in practice. Is it working? Is it not working? And if it's not working, let's change it, you know, yeah. and, and let's change it together. Uh, we're, we're getting much better at listening to the young people's voices. A lot of the changes we've made in the last 10 years have came for the young people, right? But think... A lot of the changes we've tried to change. We talk about this, the care system. Uh, 
not being fit for purpose for the young people and the young people struggling against it. A lot of residential staff have struggled against the same system and trying to make positive changes. Yeah, that's a really good point in terms of that. And maybe that should be like a qualification um, debate comes in as well, because if you've got people who are feeling oppressed due to the status issue within, this, within the setting, who are looking after, you know, oppressed people, that's never a good mix, you know. And for, for that reason, maybe it's worthwhile having a, a further kind of look at, you know, the status of the workforce, the current qualification kind of debate, and how that has a, you know is a best fit for for society, so that we we as a, we as a sector can feel valued. Um, and as, you know, in terms of your own practice, what, what are you most proud of in your career that's been achieved for you personally? About a worker, you know, whatever whatever you're thinking, something you can see. for twenty years. <laughs> proud of that. Um, no, I think um, it, it's. My drive to change the public, the general public's perception of the young people I work with, I think over the years I've engaged in a lot of um, activities in the community involving young people in it and ensuring that they get the credit for it. Um, and I, over the years, there's been one or two things, the dragon boat races at, at Miramis, um, mm -hmm. where we had in the same boat, we had residents, ex-residents, police, housing, Managers, residential staff, social workers, um, all in the one, all in the one boat, and that was the way I sold it to people. Right, we're all in the one boat, and let's all work together. Um, unfortunately, it only lasted for three years before they stopped having them. But we got a lot of benefit out of that. You know, a lot of people, you know, changed their perception of the young people because we raised a lot of money for charity as well while we were doing that. But I think recently I'm more proud of the fact that I'm driving force. I'm a driving force for change and a lot of, and I'm involving a lot of the young people and a lot of our ex-residents and that's where these wee groups have came from and the ideas of you know inviting people back for a buffet night and talking and mixing with the, the young people we have just now and, and they're talking about their experiences and how things have improved and how that they can help to make things. Uh, a couple of the ex-residents were there last year, they'd passed on to the young people. You know, I remember we, we weren't allowed to, you know, it was dead, really difficult to get overnights at your friend's house and all the rest of it. it says, and then Billy and the rest of the group, you know, they just says, well, bring it up. You know, I've brought it up, but you need to speak up. I want you to speak up. I'm right beside you. you know, when you go to a review, when you go to, you speak up, I'm right beside you. you know, I'll make yeah. sure we get that change. Um, one, one of the young girls, and I remember saying to me, you know, I know my mum better than you say. I'll be able to tell, and I'll, if you trust me, I'll tell you what, and if I go there and it's no safe, I'll come back. And I was like, well, you do, you're right, you know your mum better. She says, but what I will say is, if she's good, I'm staying, because I want to spend quality time with her while I can. Yeah, you that's, know? That's, and, that's great. And, and that's the kind of changes, these wee small changes, and again, it's all down to listening to the young people. And, and I think for myself, for the first 10 years, I was listening to staff, for the last 10 years, I've been listening to young people and I feel I'm a much better worker for it. That's Whether I'm also, alone, I don't know. Yeah, and having that confidence as well to actually support and advocate for a, a young person and empower them, you know, through your your, your strength uh, and, and get that, you know, natural relationship with, with their families when it's, when it's 
you know, it's when it's safe to do so. So that's 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 excellent practice. So see, just in terms of, I suppose, if you could go back to your time when you started in residential, to your younger self, if you call it that, and give yourself one piece of advice that you could, you know, you would have been able to utilise um, throughout the course of your career, what would that have been? Probably when I was about 30, I had my first wobble and thought about going to college and it took me now six years to do it. I should have done it the I should have done it the first time it came in at my head. And I think my advice to anybody as well as myself is act on it. When the first time, you know, if you've got that opportunity and it's there, act on it. Don't let fear get in the way of it. My fear was can I afford to pack in a job to go to college? Absolutely. It's the best thing I ever did. So yeah. I would say, you know, act on it sooner. You know, take that plunge. Yep, it's really interesting. Um, so in your opinion, what way should residential childcare be used in Scotland? Confesses how it's used just now. From my own personal opinion is that we have quite, we've got a really diverse range of different services within Scotland. And I think for me, there's still not enough taking time and making sure that the young person is in the right service because we do have a lot of the right services, you know. Um, but I money, you know, is one of the driving factors, you know, cost is, but my, answer, my argument is always, what's the cost of a, a young person's life? You know, that, mm -hmm. that young person gets the right support and is in the right environment to begin with, you know, they will become happy young adults. You know, they'll go to college, they'll get a job, they'll, you know, mm -hmm. be positive influences in society. They'll tell people about, you know, they, you know I, they actually took time to, to get to know me and make sure I got the right support to get to where I am just now. My journey, as much as it had a, you know, a really negative and horrible start, by making the right decisions, I was, you know, my journey became more positive. And, and I think that's one of, because I know I've been to loads of conferences, been to loads of people that have been around looking at other services. And I know we have the services here, we have the workforce. Um, I just think we need to get better at planning. We need to get better at the, the, way, we, the way we decide where a young person is going to be living. If we get it right first time, it'll minimise the amount of times they have to move. And then I would have to see the things, as I said, when I went to that other big service, you know, young people walking through the door at 11 and 12 that are just used to walking in and out of different doors. You know, we, we, we want to reduce that as much as we possibly can. Yeah, yeah. See, in respect to that, how, I suppose, would you, ever, would you say that residential can ever be used as an intervention rather than a reactive kind of element of service delivery? Over, over the years, I've, I've met loads of young people who have thrived within the service. Um, partly, as in, through my discussions with them, it's because for some of them, they just wanted to blend in. And having that group living helped them to blend in and then slowly build their confidence. Whereas they didn't want to be under the spotlight, so they felt if they went to a smaller placement or a foster placement, they would have had, in their words, were 
I, I was too young. I didn't feel as though I needed fixed. I didn't know how to be fixed. And I didn't want the spotlight on me. You know, they knew the problems. They knew there was something that was quite right. But they didn't have that confidence. And I think through the, a lot of the discussions I've had, young, the young people that have thrived have come in, blended in, and then grew in confidence. And as they've grown confidence, they've also developed relationships with the people they've been living in. With whether that be their peers or staff, and a lot of the times, these are the young people we think, "Am I really getting through to these young people? Am I making a difference?" And these other young people, because it has felt like a good fit for them, you know. And that's that's the bit that's difficult to identify, though. How do you identify that? And how? Uh, and it, when it comes to a young person, especially if, if you're in charge of deciding where that young person goes, right? Um, you get a phone call on a Friday night, you know, I think, right, okay then, you want to minimise the amount of moves this young person's going to have. So how do you decide what's best or best fit for them? And for me, we need to involve the young person sooner when that, in these decisions. And I understand that it's really difficult to do that. These are difficult conversations, uh, especially when a young person's just been told that, you know, the potential, they're, they're, you know, you're, you're being removed from the family home, right? So that, that's a horrendous thing for anybody to experience. Mm -hmm. But we still need to hear their voice on, right? We need to find somewhere for you that's safe just now, that there's a better environment for you. The earlier we listen to them, the better that's going to be. Uh, okay. And it's, it's, how, it's how we do that. Yeah, yeah. I, and in respect, you, you mentioned at the introduction, the bit about continuing care and you know how we where do you see the gaps in respect to that at the moment and how do we you know what's the solution to making it better for kids who make the decision to leave and then maybe I'll regret that decision which happens more often than not and for a lot of these young people there's no way back you know and I've recently been talking to someone and that's their biggest fear. You know, it's 17, going up and 18. It's to feel ready to be a bit more independent, to move on. But they're scared because if they take that big step and they, they get their house and then six months later, they're like, I'm not ready for this. There's no options. You know, you, you can't go back to the house. You can't go back... And the way, the way this person put it to me was brilliant. She said, well, if your son left home at 17 and wanted to try living in a flat, after six months, he was skint in debt, said, I'm out of debt for you. I've, I'm not ready. You would you take them back? I'm like, absolutely. He says, well, why can't I come back? Right? Okay. And, and okay. that's, it, it, it makes you think, you know, that we need to have something maybe, and it's probably something it is something, sorry, that we did have years ago because we used to have small flats or satellite houses, but they ended up becoming used as spare beds. And, and it's how do you protect that service, right? So I think we probably need that, that. That service needs to come back, but it needs to be protected. It can't just be more beds when, sorry, the houses are full of nowhere else. Yeah, tell you what, we'll use the flat that's up there. We'll just send up a couple of staff to sit there. No. 
Um, yeah. We, I, I've always joked that we've got a big, huge garden at the back here, the, the place I work. And we could have two self-contained houses in there with their own front doors. You know, a big, good place for kids to start. Except, you know, detached from the building, they would have their own front door key. And, you know, why not? Give them that, you know, experience without being out in the big, bad world. Yeah, and maybe to the, the message would be to the council leader or all council leaders within local authorities, this could be a model that would work and really be cost effective, you know, if it was coming down to finance. Um, because in the long term, we would probably save a lot of money in terms of, the, you know, the levels of support that people need when they're, when they're struggling later in life. Um, but that's a, a great idea, you know, and it's maybe something that could work. Um, and it's worthwhile kind of be asking the questions and maybe someday, you know, at the kind of level of you know, operational level might want to come on the podcast and you know, tease that out further. I think that's got a good wee thread. Um, I, Billy, do you know something? It's been a really interesting conversation. I appreciate the, the time you've taken to come on the podcast. I think they've given me a lot of food for thought and I'm sure that'll be the same way with others as well. So I really thank you. Um, and again, um, hopefully this will kind of generate uh, a lot of cashiers and further discussion. So, Billy, thanks very much. And um, I can't, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. So thanks a lot, mate. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. And I'm looking forward no. to the rest of the podcast as they come along as well. Not a problem. Thank you, pal. Cheers. Thank you so much to Billy for taking part in the podcast. Amongst other things, Billy's contribution has led me to think about how we encourage others to think about RCC as a first career choice and what we need to do to make that reality. Lots to think about, and I hope this podcast prompts some problem posing and reflection. As always, if you'd like to take part in the podcast, please get in touch. And if you like what you've heard, please share this across your networks. Thank you.